Hello, and welcome to Sobertown Podcast. I'm your host, Viv, and some of you know me as Sober I Thrive. Make sure to visit our website on SobertownPodcast.com. You will find our free Zoom calendars, Todd's modules for your sober toolbox, sober recovery stories, and our link to the Sobertown Facebook group on SobertownPodcast.com. I'll chat with guests and community members about topics related to sobriety and recovery. There are also a couple of sober communities called Boom, Rethink the Drink, and the I Am Sober app, where most of our website contributors met for SoberTownPodcast.com. Hello, Sobertown. I want to welcome our next two guests that are, in my opinion, just such rays of sunshine. They are members of the I Am Sober. They are members of Sobertown and of sobriety in itself. And we have a message that we wanted to share with the early days of sobriety. Men and women, just people that are sober curious out there in hopes that in some way this podcast will reach you and resonate with you wherever you are at in your sober journey. I will allow these two beautiful women to introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Jen. I am on the IAS app as Growing in Grace and Gratitude. My sober date is December 28th, 2021. So believe it or not, it's possible to get sober between Christmas and New Year's because I did it. And I'm just really grateful to be here today with Viv and Lisa. I am Lisa. Pizza Lisa on the app. My sobriety date is January 24th, 2022. So I'm right after Jen. I woke up that day with a uh, bottle as a pillow. So that was my start day. That was my I'm over it day. I really didn't like it. Oh, it, but it's true and it's crunchy and it's it's honestly it's the truth i was talking with the ladies beforehand before the podcast and what one of the things that we spoke about is that nobody woke up one day with a great big epiphany and a big blaring sign saying today is your day the heavens did not open up so it, with that i in our introductions i just wanted to give you a little bit of background listeners so you kind of get the the idea or the gist of where we're coming from and sh sharing our bits and pieces of our personal journeys in order for you to, to have some background on us and, and understand that the decision to, to become sober is not a quick fix. It's a decision that is internal. So wherever it finds you, and if it fits the bottom where you wake up with a bottle underneath your pillow, or like me, I detoxed in Tijuana. I went through a withdrawal. I quit drinking for my husband. I did not do it for myself. I screwed up his birthdays, his 40th birthday. And it was an unspoken rule in our marriage that not that he would leave me, but that we were having a frayed relationship and he was going to die with an alcoholic. And with that, I was broken. 
I was broken at that last minute and I didn't want to stop drinking. That wasn't that wasn't a choice that I wanted, but I I loved him and I loved my family. And I had done so many things that led me to say today is the day. And in a hotel in Tijuana, just on a vacation, I decided that today was my last day. And for the lack of knowledge, I went into full withdrawal and I made it out alive. So I'm grateful to be here. How about you, Jen? How'd yours go? Well, a little background just on me is that I'm a mom with two kids. They're they're close in age. They're 21 months apart. They're still in elementary school. And the precipices of getting sober, I think, was um, turning 40 and being a better mother, being better for my family. That was, that was my first original screening was better for my fam because that's all I cared about. Not being better for me, but being better for them. And I had done dry January and breaks and tracking the days I remained sober and white knuckling weeks of sobriety, just trying to show myself that I could could do it and that it wasn't a problem. One time I had to get an ultrasound on my liver because they were seeing abnormal red flags in some tests. And I remained sober until the ultrasound, found out the ultrasound was perfect and decided to continue to drink. So there was lots of bumpy roads and red flags. And one of the reasons that really led me to drinking, although it was not my last drinking occasion, was going out with friends and coming home with my family and putting my son to sleep at night and ending up getting sick on his his rug while I was singing him to bed. And that was devastating for me and my family. So the December 28th, the day before, I thought, okay, it's between Christmas and New Year's. I'm going to have some drinks, but I'm going to stop at 5 p.m. because I have to work the next day. So I'm going to have a little bit of drink during the day, stop at 5 p.m., and then go to bed sober and wake up and feel great the next day. Well, that did not happen. I did stop around 5. However, I woke up with anxiety in the middle of the night, and I woke up feeling so sick. And I realized that this was not under control. I didn't have anything under control. My life was not in control. I had been making more and more decisions that were not in line with who I am as a person. And I realized that this is not who I am, nor is it who I want to be, and that it's going to catch up with me if I don't take action. I woke up that morning and I gave myself grief. I called out from work sick. I spoke to my husband in privacy. I called my mom and I said to everybody, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this anymore. And I had been a member of the I Am Sober community for a while, on and off, on and off. And I remember someone had posted about Zooms. And at that time, I only knew about the, I think, 8.30 Tuesday Zoom. But I counted down the days. And at 8.30 on Tuesday, I joined the Zoom. And I did not know what we were going to talk about. (laughs) And it was not what I thought we were going to talk about. I thought we were going to talk about giving up alcohol and how to do it. And instead, everybody was talking about how they're feeling. And I didn't know. I didn't know. But I just kept showing up because I would have done anything. You could have told me to 
drink Windex jumping on one foot and, you know, reciting the Star Spangled Banner. And I would have done it if it meant it would have gotten me sober. And I remember being jealous of anybody who had even one day more of sobriety than I did, because that's all I wanted was to get further and further away from that day and that feeling. And I am so, so beyond grateful to be here now with you ladies. And I hope to help others who may feel the same way because it's hell. It's living hell. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa, so tell us, what was the motivation? What happened? Like lead us up to the the, the story. And I know that you are a member of, of AA, which is wonderful. So for our listeners out there that are contemplating AA, I think your story is very different than ours. You know, I did the sober coach. Jen went to IAS and just basically embedded herself in Zooms. So your story is a little bit different. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think that I always knew that I was an alcoholic from the time that I was young because I could never just, I was never just okay with a couple drinks. And I always think that I wanted to party a little harder than everyone else. So maybe started drinking about 13, not every day, but about not 13 started my vicious cycle. Whenever I moved out at 17, then I always had a stocked fridge and I continued to drink heavily daily, binge drinking every day. I feel like about 25 or so then I started thinking, okay, this is not the life that I expected and I don't want to do this anymore, but I didn't know where to go from there. I heard of AA and I did find an in-person meeting at that time. I walked in, everyone was old and I was scared and I walked right back out. And that's one of the things I try not to regret because I always think, well, if I would have just stayed that day then maybe I wouldn't have went on for another 15 years or so. Um, In 2020, then I got serious. I started looking for a day counter. So then I found the I Am Sober app and the community that comes with it. I wasn't as involved as I am now, but I did know that, that that started my sense of community that I knew that I needed other people to keep me sober. And though I only made it about a hundred days, I had that in my head that I can always come back to that. So whenever I did wake up with a bottle under my neck, like a pillow, which was surprisingly ergonomic, but don't recommend it. After a night of watching football, that's what we were doing. We were watching the playoff games and getting prepared for our team to go to the Super Bowl. And that was really exciting. And of course, I'm not going to quit drinking right before the Super Bowl. That would be crazy. But that was my ongoing cycle that, yeah, I'm not going to get sober right before Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's or my birthday or Earth Day. Any day. (laughs) 
So I just had like whenever I woke up that day, I felt like hell. I rolled over and I downloaded that app again. And my first post said, whatever I do, I'm not I'm not deleting this app because this is where I need to be. And since that day, I've added more tools to my toolbox and I do go to AA. I don't speak for AA. This is all just my individual opinions. But I have. I am sober. I've gained friends. I have AA. I have other communities and fellowships that I go to. And I truly believe that unity is what keeps me sober. So I'm really happy to be here today. Oh, I'm so happy to have both of you, ladies with such interesting stories. And I think it is, it goes back to, to the background that the decision to quit. So within each decision to quit, as magical as it is, it's a rock bottom, you know, it's a rock bottom. We hit rock bottom and we say, all right, this is it. I'm done. And I, I mean, I had said that so many times before, but there's something in, in, my mind that had just you know decided to quit i i retained a sober coach a week before and it wasn't because i thought to myself that this is it it was just this is it for a break of 90 days because i truly at that time my mind my logic and reasoning said i still didn't have a problem because i still had a, a business i still you know was very successful quote unquote what the what people would consider successful because this success is different to everybody and to everyone's, you know, uh, life. But in my life, that was my thing. My value system for myself was, could I show up for my clients? Could I show up to work? Could I d- keep it together, quote unquote, out there? And so therefore I didn't, the picture of what I thought someone that had dependence, alcohol addiction was someone that was living under a bridge or, you know, someone that was asking for change at the gas station. It just did not fit with myself. And back to you, Lisa, it was interesting because I went to AA five years before I I was binge drinking every single weekend. And that to me, I had made an ass out of myself in front of my daughter's uh, boyfriend for the very first time in his family. And when I say I made an ass out of myself, I got put to bed early before everyone left. And when I woke up, it was an extreme anxiety. And I had one AA friend and he took me to AA. And the same thing with you, like the same thing. It was everyone was older and everybody seemed to me now looking back had hit bottom and I wasn't there yet. That wasn't my bottom. You know, so I couldn't resonate with all these these stories that I had. But had I listened to my intuition now that that I know that that's what it is, it's listening to our intuition. Our intuition tells us there's something wrong, but we just uh, for myself, I shoot it away. I shoot it away for five years and then fast forward. I'm Courtney Love in a hotel in Tijuana detoxing. That wasn't planned, you know. (laughs) So, so, so between the time, Lisa, like, how did you get to AA? What happened for the second time that you decided this is the way I'm going to revisit? I'm I'm curious. I was on I Am Sober and I saw people posting about AA. So 
I was at the point where I was like, I'm doing anything anybody says. I'm going to try it. And I still feel the same way after having more time that if someone suggests something, then I'm going to try it and see if I like it. And and if I do, then I will go back. And if I don't, then I won't. With AA, it's kind of an acquired taste. So whenever you first go, they'll say, keep coming back. And if you don't like the meeting, then find a different one. Then you might like that. And I just kept doing that. And I've always, like, I've just gained something from every single um, thing that I've tried. And even the tools that I do pick up or the books that people suggest that maybe I don't like, I keep it in my toolbox because sometimes I'm talking to someone and they need it. So that's whenever it's useful to me. So I keep it all and use what I need, give away what I don't, and leave what I don't. Right. Makes sense because there's no rigidity in getting sober. There's no one way path. There's no one book that's going to, you know, quote unquote, save your soul from, you know, to, to, to say in sobriety, to maintain that force. So I agree with you that there's no one way. And maybe today I may not need that book, but boy, I have looked back at books and then I look at them a second time in, as time goes by. And the book looks a little different in that mm-hmm. journey. So I can understand Jen. What happened? Like, you basically tailored your first 30 days of sobriety. Because the first 30 days are the reason I, I keep bringing up the first 30 days is because it's an ongoing journey. Yes. But the first 30, 30 days are not easy. When people say, I just have oh, seven days, I want to look at them and say, You're a rock star because the beginning is hard. So tell us what happened. How'd you mix and match? What'd you do? I I just held on for dear life. I <laughs> the first 30 days, yeah, they're really tough. They're really tough. I think, you know, it it for me it was breaking out of just habits, right? Those daily habits. Cause I was a daily wine drinker. So, you know, and it was still COVID. So like the wine could start earlier and earlier in the day if you, you know, wanted to. So it was reprogramming those little things for me, you know, okay, well, normally I would have a glass of wine. Well, what can I drink instead? How do I change my situation? Do I move to a different room? Do I watch a different show? I drank a lot of tea. I ate a lot of candy, especially mints. For some reason, I would just sit there at night and eat Lifesaver after Lifesaver after Lifesaver after Lifesaver. And so you know, you can't pause life. And I was really hoping that you could just pause life and put sobriety in the front and center and be like, okay, there's nothing else to worry about. I'm only worrying about not drinking no matter what. But life has its way of just still showing up and still throwing you curveballs and being on those Zooms and having some people to share it with and posting. And then, you know, when you're on the Zooms, people, they tell you more tips and tricks. So it was download this app, try this app, this Telegram app where people can communicate in 
men's groups or women's groups and just have a sobriety tool in your back pocket. That was extremely helpful. And then sharing tips and tricks, right? Somebody said to download Insight Timer, which is a free meditative app. That was huge for me. And I never thought I had time to meditate. So I started really small, like in the shower, just listening to something nice and calming because I I've always had anxiety. So it was always about, well, the wine took away part of that anxiety. So now what can I do? And a big switch, and it really is hard to make until you're ready, is putting your sobriety first. So yes, you have plans to see your friends on a Friday, but how do I stay sober? Can I stay sober? Am I ready to see my friends? How can I attack it? What is the plan? How can I leave if it becomes too much? And really thinking about ways to make sobriety first and foremost in your life. That was really huge because I never thought about that. It was more like, how can I handle this event more like and not and not drink or maybe not drink a lot? Or how do I really keep myself safe and protect myself and my sobriety because that's what I'm working on right now. That is my focus. And that was a big switch. There was lots of these little epiphanies that I would have in the first 30 days about how I was behaving versus how I want to behave and how I want to act and how how can I set myself up for success rather than failure. And it was it was tricky, but with support, with people who have information, with with tips, with tricks, with just different ways of viewing situations, you you can make those little changes that set you up for success. Yeah, it's really important. I, what you just shared is is really important and crucial because from what I'm understanding is that life gets lifey. It doesn't stop like okay life is gonna get lifey and also I still have this this mentality that I it's a lot an all or nothing I'm getting this up and I'm never gonna have it that it was like what it was for me I'm never gonna have it again and if it was just kind of one day maybe today is the day I don't drink and then I'll worry that was implemented by my sober coach wait worry about today girl you know who knows in six months who knows in nine you know 30 days or 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 90 days where you're going to be at just worry for today lisa how did that did you feel the same way that when those thoughts or did life completely stop for you and you were like oh no and i'm still not like that whenever i realized that this was because I downloaded that app and I was like I'm just gonna slow down for a couple days because this is getting a little crazy I don't think that I ever really thought that I was that that was going to be my last drink and it probably would have been more celebratory you know like this is my last drink the farewell dance but I never got that but I took my sobriety very seriously once I realized okay this is going to be a part of my life now, and this is this is everything to me. I need to quit or I'm going to die. And so I started putting my sobriety first, making myself a priority, because my 
my husband continued to drink when I was sober and that was really hard for me. So I didn't have really a safe place to be like, this is, this is my spot that I'm going to sober up in and live happily ever after. Like he was still drinking alcoholically during that, which made it really hard for me. And so I found myself leaving a lot, going to work more. I stayed all night in my car and stayed all night at work just to know, like, I'm serious about this. I, I want this. I need some boundaries. And if you don't want to do this, and that's fine, because I have put pressure on them before when, whenever I've quit a thousand times before, like, no alcohol in the house and you have to do what I say and that didn't work for either of us and because I've tried it so many times it's hard for him to take me seriously because I've tried it so many times in the past and it didn't work but just taking it just for today and I'd say that a lot to myself just for today sitting on my hands not being able to sleep that was a big thing with me I would just stay up all night long and just binge watch trash TV and sit on my hands and just try not to drink. And whenever I, whenever I would start thinking about drinking again, and like, it wasn't that bad. Like I had fun. I did, you know, I celebrated, I did fun things, but I was ruining my life and you forget about that, but I don't ever forget about those first couple days that I was struggling because I, I don't want to ever have to quit again. So I'm just going to stay stopped, at least for today. That's a really good point. And that's a, a huge point because I, I, I resonate right there. It was, it's too hard to start and stop and start and stop. Like, not that I didn't do it before, but you just get tired of your own stuff. And it's like this time it just really, it, it hammered it. And from what you're, you're saying is when does, when really got lifey and I, my hat's off to you, my hat's off to you because if it, your, your situation, you, you didn't have that at home support system. So you had to find your, your own place of peace. And it seems like, from what you're telling us, and I'm sure that there's listeners out there, male and female, that are in the same spot that say, well, you know what? You don't know. You don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You know, I don't have the support system. So tell us a little bit more about that. Like, Lisa, like, what did you do? Because you have cravings, I'm sure, because we all do. In the beginning, it's the body is not only processing that, where's my alcohol? But on top of that, you have all, all these other factors. How did you maneuver through that? At first, I was just with gritted teeth and I tried to stay quiet because I knew that me telling him to not drink was not going to help. But him drinking was not helping me because my Diet Cokes look very similar to Coors Light. And I found myself in a steering contest with one or two before. So he continued to drink and I'm happy to report that after about seven months which is a long time whenever you're in early sobriety he quit drinking and he's been sober ever since so that's 
that's really nice that my good influence rubbed off on him. He started realizing it is possible and that, and we live a much happier life. No arguing like we used to. And it was, it's just a lot different now. Yeah, because, well, going back to that, and I don't know if this is a, you just touched on something else that drinking, I did not realize that the arguments were because of the drinking. I thought I drank because of the arguments and it wasn't like that. But Jen, did you experience anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I realized the drinking caused more anxiety. It didn't help with the anxiety and it caused more fights. It also caused more resentment. So just, you know, having... It, the the drinking was a band-aid for a lot of things, right, in life. And once you took away the drinking, like I said, I had a lot of epiphanies. And it wasn't just about drinking. It was also about my behavior and how I really was and maybe some of the defense mechanisms that I had put up. And so once you take away the drinking, all of that stuff becomes so much more visible and transparent. And, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't my way or the highway maybe i think maybe maybe i added to this in some way shape or form you know and and yeah it, it life is a little more peaceful without all of that drama right so just another question that i have because it just can't hit me from what about sugar did you guys have any sugar craving those first 30 days you know to try to replace the, the alcohol I know that Jen showed because I I was in very close proximity to Jen in her uh, in her journey and she showed us a, like a I think it was like a two pound bag of worth of mints. <laughs> I was like, did she not sugar trading? What happened? You know, but that's what it was. Tell us about the sugar trading cravings. How did that work for you, Jen? I have never been a sugar person. I've always been a salt person, always. Like, I mean, I like candy and stuff and ice cream, but you give me French fries or a salted pretzel over a chocolate bar any day. And when I was actively drinking, I would eat dinner and then that would be it for the entire day. I would not eat again. I would have my wine and I would, you know, when it was time to go to bed, I would most of the time brush my teeth and head off to bed. Once I gave up drinking, I was looking, I guess, for their replacement from all of that red wine. And I remember when my kids, when, when I was a child, my parents gave up smoking and they would always chew mints, when, especially in the car. It was like one mint after the other, I guess, to replace the cigarettes, right? And I don't know why, but when I gave up the wine, I would just sit there and I would chew mint after mint after mint. And I, I wish this was a joke, guys. I really do. I think I could eat 30 mints in like, you know, an hour or two vegging out with the family. And then my kids would ask for mints and I would be like, no, it's too close to your bedtime. These are mom's. <laughs> I would just shove more in my mouth. And there'd be wrappers everywhere, everywhere. And I think after I gave myself 30 days and and I really went to town in those 30 days and then I started to rein it back in and I still have a really bad sugar craving after dessert and I have to be very mindful of it but in the beginning I knew 
that I needed a replacement. I needed to change slowly. And so I allowed myself as many things as I could, whatever I thought would help that wasn't detrimental, right? I can, I can, you know, and, and that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Not proud of it. I'm sure the dentist is going to have a few words for me, but. <laughs> I had a love affair with Reese's Pieces. So mm. that was, you know, I, I, that was my sugar monster. And it's, it's still, I still have it. You know, I'm not shooing away that sugar. <laughs> I bet I'll live a little. How about yeah. you? How's it going? I, I, I need a vice. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> How did it go for the first 30 days? What was your, what did you notice the change that popped up that you, you didn't do what was popping up and you were giving yourself, when we say give ourselves grace means don't, don't talk shit to yourself, you know, be cool with yourself and say, at least you're not drinking. That was mine. You know, I'm very Cali, LA, dude. Calm your shit. You're not drinking. So go ahead and have cheesecake as much as you want. It's cool. You worry about everything else later. How is it for you, Lisa? How did it feel? I think that after the alcohol gets out of your system a little bit and yeah, the sugar cravings were real. I started thinking all of the things that were wrong with me. I smoke too much. I drink too much. I do all these other bad habits and I wanted to fix everything right then. And someone told me like, how about you just worry about the things that are going to kill you first? That Twinkie is not an immediate threat. So <laughs> eat all the Twinkies you want, whatever you want. And then later on, then you can start tackling that. And I have started tackling that I, almost to a month, no smoking. So it's taken a while to, to get to that point where I was like, okay, I'm comfortable with my sobriety journey. And now I'm ready to put something else on my plate. So just one thing at a time, one day at a time. It's a huge, beautiful point about that. Because I think I've noticed for myself, but I also have noticed that in the journey, there's this, the mind is, is very cunning when it comes to a lot of things. And it's the addict voice in the mind. And we can't differentiate because for myself, the addict mind and my mind, my gut feeling, my in, inner was one and the same for a while or had not really existed the other side. So going to that, it was bringing up all the problems that I've ever had in my whole life. And in that first week or first month or, for, you know, it was just, it was a journey and it wanted to fix everything. And I was like, to not overwhelm the plate how did you feel like Jen I, yeah tell me tell me about yours I think that there is a tendency to go from one extreme to the other right and I, I've I think we're all guilty of it especially in my days of of trying sobriety other times it's like oh well I don't drink anymore so I'm going to eat perfect I'm going to exercise I'm going to lose 10 pounds and I'm going to be the best version of myself. And this is going to happen overnight because I gave up drinking three days ago. And, and I see that a lot. And I don't mean to discount anybody's journey because it's all different. But for me, I had to really take a step back and, okay, yes, I would love to, you know, lose 10 pounds and exercise every day and eat perfectly. But I knew that I needed 
I, I needed grace because I, I was like, if I go too hard, too fast, I'm going to burn it. And I still have to remind myself of that, that this is life. Life has its ups, life has it down. Sobriety has its ups, sobriety has it down. But if I'm looking for perfection every day, I can't do it all. And, and I think especially in early sobriety, we're like, okay, well, I'm going to get on the right track and I'm going to stick to it. And it's like, no, like give yourself grace, give yourself space, give yourself like we're so hard on ourselves. And I think drinking people that drink a lot put a lot of pressure on themselves and they relieve a lot of that pressure through maybe the drinking, but give yourself space. Just, just don't drink and yeah, eat a bag of Oreos or Go for that walk in the sunshine, but you know, it doesn't have to be perfection. Just go with the flow. It's hard. It's really hard, but it's so possible when you just take away that all or nothing mentality. And you know what? I totally agree. It just brought up in my mind is the addiction that goes hand in hand, at least for myself, the addiction to chaos. I had to have chaos in my life in order to justify my drinking. This is going wrong. Give me that drink. That is going wrong. Give me that drink. And so the reason I bring this up is because the uh, the addict mind will create things that are life or death situations in order to give way of, you need that drink, girl. You need that drink right now because this is falling apart which you know it's like i said very cunning because how is the drink has it have it has it served you in the past to stop drinking did it fix the problem no you just had a bigger hangover and you know it, it and it wasn't solving anything so did the problem stop for you lisa and how did you handle when it would come up life goes on and you can you continue to have the same things happen because just not drinking doesn't magically fix everything. How could I be serious if she's not serious? And I guess this this is just it. This is the end. This is about my 90 days and I had a little freak out moment and then realized like she's a real person and and things happen with her. She's not a sobriety robot. And I was able to get back on track. But yeah, it was, it was a little hard that week. I think that that was just about the time that I got over just like that little hump that, that I was like, okay, now I'm okay. Things, things are fine. Things are going to work out and I can do this and I don't drink no matter what there were in my first 90 days or so, there was a lot of meetings and they say go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And my cake set for my 90 days said 900 meetings in 90 days because I mean, I was in meetings all the time, those 24 hour meetings. I've fallen asleep to them before. We've, my friend that we um, started this journey together, we started this together and she was with me on, on those meetings a lot. And and has stuck by my side. I think that the friendships that you make early on really stick. It's kind of a little trauma bond that you have at the beginning. And 
those friendships that you make at the beginning, they're going to stay forever. Oh, well, that's really important. I think that that is, that's super important. Talking about strategies in those first 30 days, what can you ladies tell me about what did you use? What, what was, what was your support systems that you clung on to? Because as we walk in, I don't know about you ladies, but I had no clue what the hell I was doing. I, you know, I still don't have a whole lot of clue, but I'm a little, you know, I'm a little bit now seasoned and I have the, the tools that I have implemented for myself. But in those first, you know, 30 days, I was clueless. I was clueless. I was clueless if I needed to, you know, journal in the IAS. I was didn't clueless if it was all the strawberries with whipped cream that I was going to eat that was going to be it. I was, you know, clueless if it was what type of support I needed because I had had no support. I was actually very incognito, secretive. I didn't want anybody to know. Nobody want, I, I don't want anybody to know, you know? So it was, but it was the leap of faith of the support system. What type, how did you each find your support system? I went, I went full in on IAS. And when I say that, I mean, you know, I did the Zooms. I, I downloaded Discord because somebody said to download Discord. I downloaded Telegram because somebody said to download Telegram. And these are just different avenues that people that through IAS have, you know, created little subgroups for people to communicate and chat about anything, everything under the sun. I threw myself into, I wouldn't say journaling, but like I started to look at my past behaviors and I would reflect on them. Like, okay, what did I do? I, I called them drinking faux pas, right? Okay. Why did I need to take a a glass of wine as I was getting ready or even like a little bit of wine on the car ride there while my husband drove somewhere or sips, you know, these are the things that I had done that I wasn't proud of, that I felt shame around that normal people might not do, right? And and why was I doing, why did I do, why did I feel I needed? So I tried to look at my behavior in a, through a different lens and really take stock of it and come up with different strategies and listen to other people's tidbits on how to handle things. So I went all in on IAS and whatever people would throw at me. And and like I said, I really, you could have one more day of sobriety than me or 300 more days of sobriety than me. And you were my idol. <laughs> I looked up to you. It was like a freshman looking up at the seniors in high school, like, show me the way, like, teach me. And I just absorbed everything. I was a sponge. I was also super self-conscious. So I was really shy. I felt like that awkward kid on the first day of school and I didn't know how to fit in. And the only thing I kept doing was kept showing up, kept being there, kept trying. And I eventually found people that I really connected with and that I respected and that started to respect me. And the more I shared, the more I felt less alone. That was really big for me as I felt so alone with this burden of shame. And I didn't know anybody in my real life who had a problem or who wanted to admit that they had a problem. So who, how could I admit that I had a problem? That was weak, right? We don't have problems. We, 
we we figure it out and it's weak to have a problem. But I had a problem. I abused alcohol heavily and I needed to talk to somebody who knew what that was like and who could show me how to get to the other side. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, to be connection beats addiction. Yeah. But, you know, I've said that a lot because for me, that was that was vital, even though my only connection for myself was a sober coach once a week that I would just sit there and cry probably for the full hour. It was just tears and tears and tears because I did not want to be sober for the I, I just in the beginning, I did not. I hated the process of being sober. I hated the process of why do I have to go through this? How did I get here? It was so many different. I was upset that I was upset over alcohol because I was like, how could I have allowed this to happen? And what kind of a person am I that now I'm in this position and I'm crying over alcohol and I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm going to lose all my friendships in real life. And I can't talk to anybody. And it just, all of these things would just crowding in. So I, I, I turned to when I would have my one session a week with my sober coach, I would ask her and I would ask her. And she was just like, the one thing that she told me was, Viv, all of the, your, your things that you're throwing on your plate and making so much bigger in your head, you don't know this. But your mind is throwing it all at you. It, it, there's a saying, I think, that some of you might know that says, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. So it was that. That's how I felt. Like, I was sad. It, but it, 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 I, wasn't, I wasn't sober enough to realize, oh, wow, you're waking up without a hangover. Oh, wow, you're able to watch a movie at night. Oh, wow. Your, you know, you didn't get into a fight with your husband last night. It was none of the, it was all of what I had lost, not what I was gaining. So the shift in perspective that my sober coach gave me, because I was so in so much um, shame and embarrassment, I didn't want to be in front of anybody. I didn't want anybody to see me in that, that way. Because I thought, to be honest, in Zooms, I thought everybody was smarter than me. Everybody had it all together. I was the one that was the fuck up and I was struggling. So I was like, if I'm the one that's struggling and everybody's going to Zoom all happily, how am I going to fit in there? That was my own bias. And it was so far from the truth. So far from the truth. So Lisa, how was it for you? Because I don't know if I'm, I'm going to ask a question. And you tell me if you feel comfortable. How, what, how far in did you... Did you say actively, I'm going to find a sponsor? Because I think you mentioned you had a sponsor. Yes. I was going to meetings. I was feeling myself getting a little um, too confident. Like, okay, it's about 60 days. I've done this for 60 days by myself. I know that feeling. I was going to go back right then. And so at that moment, I was like, it was 62, 62 rule 62 for the AA people. Don't take yourself so damn seriously. That's the rule. And so on day 62, I found a sponsor and was able to start working the steps and to not focus so much on not drinking, start focusing on on myself and the things that me that made me who I was. So just keeping it simple and instead of 
being like, why am I like this? It's just, I'm like this because I'm an alcoholic. I drink because I'm an alcoholic. And now I don't drink because I'm an alcoholic. And that's just how I try to play it one day at a time. It's that, you know, I think that that's important. That rule 62, I'd never heard of that, but that makes sense because then you get confident into romanticizing. I can probably manage to have another drink now. (laughs) If that's what it means. Is that what the rule 62 means? Rule 62, it's it's a long story, but there was a whole bunch of rules for AA. And then someone submitted Rule 62. Don't take yourself too seriously. Like, this is not that big of a deal. Let's just, like, stay sober. <laughs> Get out of your own head. Get out of your own way. Uh, Jen, so that was the other. What kind of things did you use? Share, like, t- techniques. And I know we talked about the mints, but what are the techniques that you implement in order to navigate the challenges that were coming up for the first 30 days? Self-care practices, mindfulness techniques, and any strategies that you have to manage the triggers and cravings? Because let's face it, again, we don't put down the bottle and there's no, no craving. So I have a therapist that I started seeing before I got sober. So having somebody to really open up to, because, you know, when you join the community, at least I was, I was guarded a little bit, like, especially the first Zooms, you're like, okay, you know, what do I share? How much do I share? Can You know, what do I feel comfortable with? And and for me, the, there was always a little bit of awkwardness. I'm, I'm better in smaller groups, I think. I'm more comfortable. So having somebody one-on-one that I could actually open up to and talk about everything. How is it going with the kids? My husband, my sobriety, my, my life, right? Was useful for me, very useful. I still see her to this day and we have a great relationship and she's helped me immensely. I started to find meditations and doing things to lower my anxiety. And that started opening up a spiritual side, not within the first 30 days. That took a while, but that did happen by, by, you know, finding time for myself, whether it was just a 10 minute meditation or a little bit of journaling, a, a walk in fresh air, getting out of the chaos that, you know, COVID certainly brought was, was useful. And having that time to reflect and take a big deep breath. Now, I will say, I remember specifically one time I was going through a tough time early on in my sobriety about my son. And I was upset about a few things with the school. And I remember like picking up my phone and putting in my telegram group how upset I was and how, you know, I I was just livid over a certain thing. And like, Mama Viv, as I love to call you, kind of took me down a notch. And she was like, Jen, I know that this is important to you. I understand it. But he's in first grade. (laughs) Like, it's not the end of the world. And I think just those doses of real reality, kind of like, because I could have drank over first grade bullshit, so to speak. But Viv was like, this is the grand scheme of life. It's not that big of a deal. Like, take it down a notch. And sometimes I think, Getting those little bit of wake up calls are a little bit of a slap in the face, but it's the reality you need and having people in your life to do that for you who get where you're coming from. You want to drink because that's what solves the problem. And somebody's saying, hey, you want to drink because you want to drink because that's how you deal with problems. Don't take that drink. You don't need it. Now, I will say I had four NA beers that day, <laughs> just kind of it, but I didn't have a real drink. 
And so having those kind of people in your life who are going to smack you across the face and say, get, you know, knock it off. That's not going to help help. And it's what I needed. And I didn't like it, but I needed it. <laughs> so just like tips and tricks, like people that have your back. It's important to surround yourself with people that understand what you're going through. Yeah, because it's what you're totally talking about. Lisa, did you have any mood changes within the first 30 days? And how did you deal with them? I think that I was very irritable. I I was never happy wherever I was. And I I didn't like that feeling. So if I'd be at work, I didn't want to be at work. I wanted to be at home. And if I was home, then he was driving me crazy. And I wanted to be at work. And so I just never had peace. And also the irritability came from not being able to sleep. And I found some guided sleep meditations specifically for not drinking so I would listen to those sometimes while I tried attempted to fall asleep you know you hear the hungry angry low and leave higher stress all of those things come into effect and just learning how to pause whenever you're feeling one of those emotions and and not reacting learning how to react in a calm manner and it gets so much more done than my old way of getting things done, which is you do this and that's it. There's no discussion. This is how it's going to be done. And it's a lot better now because I can just, I can just say, okay, I'm going to just take us and then I'm going to come back with the, with the response, the pause, right? Taking the pot. Yeah, I, you know, going back to Jen, I do remember that in- incident with her son. And it was, it was, I, I wasn't sober coaching yet, but it was the, it, it kind of, what I was learning, I was kind of like practicing because I could see my own behavior and I could see it. And I was like, again, everybody everybody it was everybody else's fault why why I drink and so when I put down that bottle it was still everybody else's problem why I drank right and so I needed to that's the the part that I wanted to impart to you and to a lot of a lot of the people that I would speak to because I was seeing the behavior I think I was far 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 enough along where I could see and I would be like, mm, is it the drink demon or is it the problem? And trying to separate those two, right? And, and for myself, you know, it was, it was that. It was the drink demon. So for me specifically and people, it, it'll be different. But one of the, the tips that really helped me out and still to this day helps me out, not so much because triggered to drink, because that's not an option. For me, I've already taken that. I've buried it and it's done. And the thing that I, you don't get from, you don't get from a day zero to that. You don't. It takes time. It takes process. It takes practice. But I will say for the first 30 days, I was in the bathtub or I was taking a cold shower. Because I was so, you know, my, the neurological part of your brain needs to get shocked or soothed. Those are two things. So in order to the mind, when it was trying to get me into fight or flight 
and say the fight or flight is there's danger and there's this and there's that, then I would want to reach for the drink. So in order to help myself, because the liquor store was right downstairs from where I lived, it was like, you have to get in that shower. And it's, if it's an emergency, you're going to get in the cold shower. And if it's if it's time that you just need to cry, it's going to be a hot shower, you know, in the hot bath. And so my tears would just roll into the water. And I it just didn't want anybody to see me in that moment of losing it. I was losing it. And I think that's okay. That's okay. In the first 30 days, the, the mood swings are going to happen. If you stopped sugar, you would have mood swings and headaches and all of that. So the alcohol dependency is real. So that that's a mental health self-reflection to do and to understand that in the early days of sobriety, I don't know about you ladies, but I think it's very common. It, there was no sleep. There was no sleep while you drink. There's no REM. You never get REM when you sleep. So when you stop drinking, you feel like you're tired all the time. Did you guys experience? Yeah. What'd you do? You had to work, right? The same I would go to bed early. I would. I ch like I said. I changed my habit. So I would. I would go to bed early. I I've always loved sleep. I but I during the drinking years, I would wake up with this three a.m. anxiety and self-loathing. And w I don't know if either of you had these, but when I initially gave up drinking, I had night sweats for a oh. while. And so those those night sweats are not that much fun. But once I got past, it was probably about maybe a week of night sweats on and off. And then once I got through that, oh, I just wanted to sleep. So, you know, I've got the young kids, so I wasn't able to do that during the day. Plus, I work full time, but a lot of sleeping, just a lot of rest and then a lot of scheduling time for myself, right? So those those Zooms that I would go to, I would have to step away for an hour to join the Zooms and and just getting that break, right? Getting that me time, because I never scheduled that before. I never took time for myself to e explore something that I might even want to read or look at or, you know, I, I always was giving of myself. And then I think that's where the resentment would come. So once I was able to take time for myself and give myself a little bit more care, some TLC, that's where I think the growth started to happen. When I stopped shutting the needs of myself down with alcohol, I was like, oh, I like this. I like to sleep. I need more rest. I need more downtime for me and to do a, not less for my family. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, that all that saying, put yourself you have to put yourself first. So I learned that I have to put me and my sobriety first, and then I can kind of help everybody else. But until I did that, I, I wasn't able. I just had a chip on my shoulder about how much I was doing for everybody else because I wasn't doing anything for me. There is just a lot of shifts, a lot of shifts in how I was living my life. It's yeah. really important. Yeah, every I have to stop drinking. What is it? Uh, I have to put my sobriety first in order for everything I love not to come last. Right. And Lisa, how was yours in your mental health the first 30 days, your moods, your anxiety? Did you suffer any of, of the depression? 
any, any, the, the self-talk, the self-reflection, what did it feel like? It was new for me to actually have people to talk to because it was just myself and my husband for a very long time. You know, I didn't have any friends. So learning how to be friends with people and having um, a support system was a lot different for me. So just learning to navigate that, I feel like um, I didn't have depression. I did have stress, of course, from him continuing to drink and but I was hyper-focused on my sobriety, so I didn't really have time to complain too much about him. Trying to stay in gratitude and just worrying about myself and doing the next right thing, they say. That's beautiful. I love that saying because that's what it, it, I've heard it so many times that uh, comes from directly from AA and I love that because when I don't know what to do, that's the, you know, it, I always reflect upon the what's the next right thing, like the most immediate right thing. So yeah, you don't have to have a giant plan. Like for right now, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to make another decision and then I'm going to do that. But as long as I do the, the right thing, then I feel so much better and I don't have as much stress. And when things don't go my way, then it's mostly because people aren't doing what I want them to do. So I'm, I'm able to recognize that like, okay, this is happening. This is not anything that I can control. And I'm going to let that happen. I can't accept it. What's the worst that could happen if... If they continue that way, I can't control what they do. So I, so it's a, it's a lot more peaceful whenever you're not controlling everyone in your life. You just have to worry about yourself. Oh, that's beautiful. I, it is because that's a mind shift of being able to unlock yourself and unhinge yourself from what you can control. And that is in itself huge. You know, it's being codependent with the world. It's in its whole world. Yeah. So I, the other thing, one more thing I, I wanted to touch on. Early days of sobriety, we have milestones. Every day is a milestone in the first 30 days. First seven days. Did you guys celebrate it? Lisa? Did, did we celebrate it? Yeah. Like, did, the, so. Yeah. This, <laughs> yeah. Listen, they're bringing this up because the person that is, for example, myself, it, it was really quick. It was, I celebrated it. I was forced to celebrate it because my celebrations were my triggers. I wanted mm. to cover my, you know, I didn't know anywhere else, you know, bottle of champagne. Oh, we don't do that anymore. So, so how was it for both of you in your celebration? Every month I got myself a cookie, like one of those giant cookies and I'd have them write something on it. Like I mentioned before, the 900 meetings in 90 days, or I had one that said the guy at the liquor store thinks I've been dead for two months. So all of them were pretty funny. Once I got toward the end of the year, then it was less important to me to get my cookie. But I really looked forward to those early ones. You know, it was such a, it was such a big deal. My family liked having the cookies too. So, and I just really quick, I I want to because 
everybody's first 30 days were different, but in sobriety journey, but I hear this a lot from community and that the people around you will, won't celebrate because they don't understand what the struggle is that you're going through. You're just not drinking. What's the big problem? You're just not drinking. Why shall we celebrate? But to us, it's a big deal. So Jen, did you, and, and Lisa, going back to that, did you guys feel that? Yeah, it's a huge deal not to drink. Huge. Huge deal. Huge. Congratulations to everybody not drinking today. Woo! Good for you. It's huge. And especially those first, you know, however, days, weeks, months, it's huge. I found somebody in IAS had posted a picture of a calendar, a monthly calendar. And every month was divided, you know, January, there were 31 days to color in January, February 28th. And I printed out that calendar and I went back to my first day and I colored in every day that I didn't drink. And I, as the little, you know, fifth grade girl in my heart that I will always be, I had a color scheme. So January was like the colors are frozen. February, Valentine's Day, March, St. Patrick's Day. And I had a theme and I was so proud at every day to see my calendar taking life and shape and form from black and white into all of these beautiful colors. And my goal was to get to the end of the year and have every day colored in. And I did it, but it meant so much to me. And I remember I would show my husband, oh, look, my calendar, it's got colors. Look, my, to my therapist, my mom, nobody understood. Nobody got it. They were like, oh, it's pretty. It meant so much to me to see it coming together. And anytime I thought about drinking, I thought about my little calendar and how disappointed I would be in myself to not have one of those days colored in. And that was my motivating factor for the first year. That was my, my way of showing and tracking my progress to myself. I remember I, I didn't celebrate with cookies. I'm a cheap girl at heart. But I should have done that. (laughs) Lisa, going back to the celebrations and the milestones, being that your husband at that time was still drinking, I can imagine, and I'm just speculating here and I'm projecting, uh, did he celebrate your milestones? And if he didn't, how did you feel? Like, what were you doing to counteract, you know, that? I, like I said, I had my girls, I had my sober circle and they would be excited for my cookies that, you know, after the first one, they're like, okay, what's your cookie going to say next month? He was super excited for me also because as an alcoholic, he can relate, even though he was still drinking. There's a lot of alcoholics in my family. So I, I didn't really feel that disconnect because they knew how big of a deal it was because just making it one day would be huge for them. So I guess they did celebrate with me, the, my close family, my son, my husband, the people in my house, uh, they were really proud of me. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that at least you had that support system and that people to resonate with you in, in those moments. Because I I come across a lot of people, for myself, it was 
celebrated. Uh, but I celebrated myself and in those first 30 days and my husband celebrated me those first 30 days and so did my kids because I wasn't tipping TVs. I was mm-hmm. in rage anymore. So they're like, yeah, you know, that type of thing. But I see other and I see I look around and almost that the mind also creates, well, they're not celebrating me. So why am I doing this for? Because the mind is so cunning like that, right? And so that this is one of the things to be aware for the anybody that's in those first 30 days, just because somebody else doesn't celebrate you, we celebrate you. Just because they, the person in my case that was sleeping next to me, he's uh, a normie in that sense. He, he did, doesn't know what it feels like to struggle. It's the struggle of he can have a glass of wine and walk, walk away with half of it there. And to me, it's like, what the hell are you doing? It's that cringy feeling. So he wouldn't understand, but he would still celebrate. He was celebrating for other reasons. Vivian was no longer in, in the blackout. That was a celebration, but not the drinking in itself. The drinking, he didn't understand how I could just not stop. But to anybody out there going through that, and if you're by yourself, if you're alone, celebrate yourself. This is the, the switch in the mind. We no longer celebrate with, with alcohol. So we need to find things to soothe yourself via a cookie, via, you know, whatever uh, that is your thing that you have to do. I mean, and there's, there's just endless, you look on the internet, Google, you know, self-care. And there's so many things that will come up there and something may resonate with you, you know? So I just wanted to, to end this with something very personal from each of you. I'm going to ask each of you this question. So Jen, what would you tell someone on their day zero? What would you say to them when they're in that or, you know, in day zero's day one, they're in that struggle. What would you say? What is your worst wisdom? Oh, gosh. I would just say that it's you don't have to feel this way. You don't have to feel ashamed or disappointed or terrified. You have every right to feel shame, disappointed, and terrified, but there's a way to move forward. And there are people who are going to offer you their hand and just take it, just take their hand and follow them. And if it makes sense to you, then do it and just one day just don't drink and then the next day do it again and again and again and look at the bright things that are happening focus on the good the good sleep the the better skin look for those little nuggets because they're little and they're easily overlooked but they're there and just keep keep trying and keep fighting because once it sticks it's so worth it it's so worth it not to be in that despair and turmoil and you can do it if I can do it anybody can do it it's possible it really is possible beautifully said thank you thank you so much Lisa what would you tell somebody on their day one I would say don't give up it's so easy to go back to how to your your routine to what's what you know 
but it's so much better on the other side. Just going to stick with it. And, and it seems hard. It seems impossible, but you can see all of the people that have made it to the other side and how they're happy and they, they laugh and they have life in them again. And that can be you too. So take suggestions, be willing, you know, be open, be honest. Like all of those things are so important in the early days to just, to just be willing and just say, I don't know everything and I'm willing to take any suggestions that you bring because whatever I was doing, it didn't work for me. So beautiful. I love that. I would say for myself, for the people in, in the day zero or day one, if you're scared, it's normal. If you're thinking what is ahead of me, don't think about it. Just think for today. If you're not sure of maybe you're in a relationship and you're like, how will this impact my friendships, my relationships? Don't think about that. You're the most important person. And you're the most important person in your life. And if this doesn't feel good to you, how life is happening to you and not for you, then we're here for you. You're not alone. There's so many communities, as you heard from Lisa, there's a, there's, you know, sponsors, there are willing people that have, every one of us have had either a day one or several day ones. There are Zoom communities. There's this podcast, SoberTownPodcast.com to go to. There's many different communities. You are not alone. And I'm sorry you're having to go through this. And when we say in our circles, we love you, it's because the addict in us sees the addict in you. So we love you. Thank you so much, ladies. I love each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for imparting your wisdom and your truth. And I'm sure that this podcast will impact so many lives. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Viv. All right, ladies, with this, we will come to a close. And listener out there, we're all here for you. You are not alone. And keep on listening and send this to someone that you feel might be able to, that is on their day zero, or this might resonate with. We're saving lives here. And we love you and we appreciate you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and found it helpful, tell a friend or someone you know, pass this podcast on. And my information is Viv, founder of SoberIThrive.org. I'm an internationally certified in addiction recovery, other known as a sober coach and a life coach too. My certifications encompass the neuroscience of joyful recovery, roots of addictions, alcohol and its effects, dynamics of professional recovery coaching, motivation to change, right thinking in recovery, family issues in recovery, codependent behaviors in addiction, and ethical and legal issues in professional recovery coaching. 
go to my website, SoberIThrive.org and book your free confidential 30-minute call. We can help create the sober warrior within you.